go. All right, ladies and gentlemen, another episode of Tennis of Melbourne. Very, very fortunate enough to have Mario from Spark Tennis again. Mario, would you like to say hello to our friends? <laughs> hello, everyone. And thanks again, Tom, for having me on. I really appreciate it. Oh, no, look, um, as we mentioned, it's uh, because I, every time I finish a combo, I always sort of sit down and I go, hmm, I really like this combo and I think there is more depth to it. And then that's why I decided to, to, to reach out to you again. So thanks again for your time. Um, today, for the listeners, you are in luck. We're going to talk about two things, all right, two elements of tennis and even just in life in general. Number one is going to talk about habits. And secondly, we're going to talk about mindset, all right? We'll go into more details a little bit later. But about habits, now, Mario, we're going to talk about daily habits. Yep. Uh, with your Insta stories, you answer a lot of questions, talk about, you know, when you wake up and stuff. So for you personally, what's, your, what's an ideal day for you, Mario? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So uh, it's a good question. So my personal daily habit is a 5 a.m. wake up followed by exercise journal meditation and then I'll have something to eat uh, I do this just so I can get myself and like in a, in a very good mindset and a good mind frame I always feel like if I can wake up earlier and do things that others aren't doing it gives me a psychological advantage and like and once you've got that psychological advantage you know you feel you believe a lot more in yourself and you feel like you're doing the right things which is important mm-hmm. right now um do you have off days? You know how they like cheat meals and stuff like that, cheat days and stuff. Is, is it every day consistently or? Yeah. No, no, so definitely, yeah. So, you know, I, it's it's important to also treat yourself and whatever you, like, do you mean cheat days in regards to food or sleeping in um, or? Sleeping in or even just like thinking, you know what, tomorrow is Sunday, I'm going to give myself a little 7 a.m. wake up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So over the weekends, I do do that. Like I, I would still wake up early. Uh, but my routine stays the same. So as an example, I'll do my meditation, my journaling, my reflection, my reading, exercise, because uh, that way if I don't do that, I don't feel like I can, you know, give my best to people around me, like my partner who I live with. So if I'm not, if I'm not in a good mental state, then I can't be the best partner I can to her. Wow. Did you guys hear that? Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So how do you, well, firstly, when did it start? Did it just, did you hit by a lightning and then just go, okay, I want to do it? Or you're just sort of thinking, all right, I wanted to, I've seen some difference. I see a different pattern and starting reading and then, you know, take one at a time. And is it like an yeah. inception of it? Uh, look, when I was actually playing full-time tennis, I was living in Geelong and my coach at that time, Jay Salter, lived in Melbourne. And I would have to wake up and, you know, Jay was like, you know, you have to be here at six. Let's start at six and let's go six to eight. So coming from Geelong, I'd wake up at 4 a.m., you know, eat something and then leave and get there just before six, quarter to six and do my warm ups. Um, and that way I was always waking up early like that. Uh, but in saying that, after I stopped playing tennis, there was a bit of a time where it's like, okay, I'm waking up early, but then what do I do? And at that time, I was just like, okay, now let's play around with it. Let's, let's start reflecting on something that's not, that has nothing to do with tennis. Let's start meditating. Let's start playing around with things that make you feel good. And I've been through a patch where I didn't actually have like a daily routine and daily habit. And I I didn't feel that great. Mm. And I just, I wasn't my best person. So in order to, you know, deliver 
quality to everyone else's life, you need to first look after yourself and make sure that you're in a good state. Nice. And um, the last 12 months of you, mm-hmm. um, if, I, if I have to give you maybe two things you learn from having a daily habit, what would be the two? Uh, the two things that are the most important? Mm-hmm. In a, from, from, the, from your daily habit and that you create. Yep. And you, yes, <clears throat> definitely. So the two most important things would be definitely the journaling and the reflection and also the meditation, which can help you stay in that moment and focus on your breathing and really being present. Sometimes, you know, you can think about the past or too far into the future and forget what you need to do now. Mm-hmm. So there are definitely the most important two to me and what I would recommend for everyone. Jeez. Would you apply that you just said, you know, not too far in the future, not too far, you know, in the past, you can apply that in tennis as well. 100%. Mm-hmm. Can you give you me an example? Look, yeah, yeah. So when you're thinking about, let's say, with your tennis goals, you have the bigger picture in mind. So you have your long-term goals, but you can't actually reach your long-term goals without being in the present moment and taking action, you know, right now and what's happening now, today. Not yesterday and not five days in front of you. You need to focus on okay, now, and what am I going to do? As an example, you hear people say, okay, I'm going to start my diet on Monday all the time. Like, <laughs> And it's like, okay, why don't you just start it now? Like, you might, you might have had a bad meal, but like, let's start now. Let's make the difference now. What are you doing about it? Uh, and I just feel like people do that as, as, as a bit of an excuse and a cop-out and kind of just make excuses for themselves. Once you start blaming things that, you know, except for yourself, then, you know, you're kind of setting yourself up for a little bit of failure in the long run because you'll you'll go back to that. Mm. That's uh, that's so true. You know, those, you know, like December, you know, after Christmas, and people starting to go, all right, next year I'm gonna do this and do that, and then after three months, you know, and that, that's the thing. I um, I, I know this is off topic, but I have a friend who owns a gym, right? And he yeah. goes to me, he goes, man, we make the most money in the first four months of the year. And we, and then after that, uh, May and June, they have to think about remarketing because all the marketing happened itself. Gym sells itself at the end of December, and you have to sell the gym in mm-hmm. June. <laughs> and I go, yeah, I go. That is so true because everyone look at themselves during Christmas and the food they eat and they're reflecting and. And you get it from from social events, and they they catch up and go, oh, you know, I need to do this, I need to do that. Jim spends zero dollar on marketing. They don't, they don't, they just leave it there as long as they keep it open. And uh, in in June, July, and that is when they go, all right, let's do a challenge, summer body, blah blah blah. Yes. And that's just the whole cycle again. So that is so true. <laughs> yeah. No. No. Definitely. I mean, look, it's and and you know, I guess that's human psychology and patterns of you know how people react after certain things and and it's yeah. I mean, that's a that's a whole different topic mm-hmm. to discuss. But it's it, it is an interesting thing where people don't people avoid you know right now and what they can do about it right now, which is the most important. You know, that's the most important thing you actually have is now, mm-hmm. not tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's true. That's so true. And again, um, do you think that having habits Mm -hmm. makes more time? Makes more time? Mm -hmm. 
Look, it can. Like, I mean, habits really just help you get over your bad days, and that's why I have habits because you are you are going to face roadblocks, you are going to face challenges and obstacles. But and if you don't actually have good habits, then you could actually spiral down a lot quicker than you know than usual. So habits can get you back into a better mind frame, or you know, help you face the challenges you're going to face or are facing. In regards to time, like, yeah, look, I mean. If we're talking from a time aspect, nothing can actually give you more time. If you can actually stay in the moment, then you might feel like you have more time. But, yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. that that's probably the main reason why people have habits. You read about, you know, super successful people in, let's say, business or sport. They all do have habits that help them, you know, get over the bad days. Right. Now, I, I, I want to share my little personal uh, jab for, for this habit. I... Uh, my wife Jess and I we always uh, communicate a lot, and uh, in our early relationship, I I always live by this principle, and still today, I've been actually I've been living with this principle for many 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 years. I always say I always say to them, I always said to to whether the people I work with or even in relationship wise, I always said, what costs the most? Do you know what costs the most? Do I know? Yeah. Do you know what costs the most? Yeah, time. Oh, I got a better answer for this. <laughs> what costs the most are bad habits. True. Because bad habits is going to waste your time. Bad habits is going to waste, uh, it's going to create a lot of blind spots. Bad habits is going to make you do a lot of roundabouts and come back in the same point. Uh, bad habits are clutters. And bad habits are the ones especially could create a bad relationship. So, mm. so bad habits are the ones. So, so again, you, you mentioned earlier about meditation is I do meditate and I always trying to see the blind spots and also trying to find the habits that I have. Why do I put things, why do I do things a certain way? Can I do it more effective? Can I do it more uh, safer? Can I do it more... Uh, less damaging I guess so time and money and and everything will fall in pain in terms of habits you know uh, they, they said they said um, habits dictate discipline and discipline dictates freedom yeah so, so true. yeah so that's something I want to share my little little plug um, again what are, what are you suggestion for habits uh, let's say pre-match uh, say whether it's in, in a junior level or even in a professional level? Yeah, yeah. so pre-match routines or pre-match habits, the key thing that I would suggest is knowing, you know, having a good warm-up that suits your personality that you'll come up with your coach. Like as an example, some players need to go out there sweating and some players need to be more calm and relaxed to be able to stay focused. So, again, it comes down to the individual. Like uh, let's say one of my players needs to go out there feeling like they've actually almost done a mini workout before they're out there so they feel like they're ready to roll and they're super pumped and you know that that would inquire but that would require sorry a little bit of fitness beforehand and for someone that needs to be calm then you would you know you'd go over notes and okay this is what we're working on don't forget that you know if every shot you're playing this is the this is the end goal for it right now for those uh who uh i'm just cutting the different way but for those who are actually watching currently watching um Michael Jordan, uh, the, the Last Dance, which I am, I'm a big basketball fan as well. 
Um, if you watch Michael Jordan, half of his time when he was introduced and then do a lineup for the anthem and all that, and the cameras will shut on me. And he always one of the things he does, he he looks down, and he's trying to visualize whatever's going to happen to the game. And if you look closely, he was actually sweating. And his sweating is <clears> not nerve or whatever, but because he's he had adequate warm up and whatnot. And um, it's amazing how Michael Jordan does his things. The most, um, how do I say this? Uh, in, in a way that it's like he already visualized how the game's gonna play. Like, you know, um, like I was watching it last night. He says if he, if something ticks him and goes, all right, if you trash talk him or whatever, next game that's all it takes. That's all it takes for me to give you a thirty-five points and a fifteen-point blowout win um, for Chicago Bulls. So that's something I want you know visualize for those who are. Um, whether you're in junior level or senior level, just probably I encourage people to, to visualize. So for you, did you visualize yeah. a lot when you were pro, when you were playing? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, visualization even right now is a key is a key part in my life, and it is important to be able to visualize. You know what a match can look like. What do you want to do? What do you want to feel like? But then also accepting the fact that. No shot will be the same shot twice in a row, or no <laughs> ball is going to bounce the same twice in a row. That's right. So you know you also have to have, you know have a certain aspect of adaptability to the certain situation. I mean, it's just like life, right? No decision will be the same, or no choice, you know, and no circumstance or situation is going to be exactly the same. Mm, that's so true. Um, if you guys are into running, because I was very fortunate enough to be around athletics. Uh, spend some time watching Usain Bolt. Yep. Um, Usain says the hardest part are the training, the fun part are the competing. So yes. if you if you if you wanna if you wanna have fun during match, train hard and do all the hard work. Um, they say champions are born in the dark. You gotta do it. You gotta do what you yep. gotta do. You gotta you don't stretch because your parents told you so, or you stretch because your coach you know. All that comes down to what we just said earlier, because you, you're setting yourself for failure because you're doing it for someone else, and you're yes. doing it for just with with no purpose because you're trying to impress others. You know, we have no time to impress yeah. others. So that is something I wanted to to share with you guys as well. So that was, that's really really good. And how about after the match? What's your any uh, post match habits? Yeah, post-match habits would be to, to reflect on what actually happened, even if you won or you lost, and you can do that by yourself. You can do it with a coach. You can do it with your parents. Um, uh, but, you know, it all, all depends on, you know, what's actually happened and what type of person you are. Like, personally, from my, my own experience, I would like to, you know, calm down and cool down before I talk to anyone. And, you know, that would usually I'd usually set a time where 15 minutes, all right, you've got 15 minutes, you had a bad day, let it out, and then after the 15 minutes, finish, snap out of it. Let's think about what actually happened. <laughs> okay. But what if it's a bad loss, coach? I had a bad loss. Yeah, so, I mean, the bad loss is exactly the same thing. Like, even if you, you know, it depends. Like, if you want a little bit of time, then you have to express that, and you have to know yourself. You have to be self-aware and be like, okay, I get very angry after a tennis match. The last thing I need is, Coach Mario coming up to me and giving me some motivational talk because it's not going to work. <laughs> like, just give me some space. Let me go and cool off. And then after the 15 minutes, once I've said everything I want to say to myself or whatever I'm feeling, then I'm ready to talk with an open mind. 
So if you're the coach of Roger Federer in Wimbledon final, yeah, you apply the same principle as what you just said. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I would have to know what type of person he is and how he responds uh, to you know tough times. He might well, he might actually need someone there after straight after a loss and talking about it so he can get it off his mind. Where some players would be like, no, nah, I need the space. But let's say if he had a bad loss and his personality out there is like. Yeah, he gets very upset about matches and he takes them very personal, then the best thing for him or for a coach to do would be to give them some space and then approach them, you know, let's sorry, you don't approach them, let the player approach you when they're ready. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's pretty yes. good. Pretty good. I, uh, I almost wanted to come back in tennis and have a hit. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, because that's what I need when I was a junior, you know, I always... Uh, you know, you are only a champion when you win, and uh, back in the days, the culture wasn't wasn't the best. But having to w- hear what you said, I, I have I have more hope for the next generation. <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, I think it, I think it's just important to, you know, well, first of all, you have to love people, and you have to love that everyone's going to be so different. Mm. And if you're very fixed in the way you coach, then it's going to be hard to, you know, to make a difference to a lot of people. Like you'll be very closed off and you might be able to make a difference to people that, you know, suit your certain personality. Um, but if you can learn to, you know, uh, you know, it, it, to have empowering conversations with every individual based on how they learn, then you're going to be a, a very good coach and you're going to make a difference in their life. Wow. Okay. Well, I hope this convo so far is going to travel to a lot of years across the world because that what you said was was beautiful very well put very well put you should be proud of yourself by the way you know but the last <laughs> combo in this combo um oh, thank you uh, now we, we we talk about uh earlier is um you know obviously your, your mind and the mindset you know in your definition what is winning and what is losing yeah i mean winning winning to myself and you know what i try and teach every student in the program is that winning is actually not the result of the match like that's important for sure based on where you are like for juniors and most juniors winning to them should be you know following the plan and doing exactly what they need to do to reach the bigger picture and then once they get to a stage where let's say okay they're 200 in the world then winning does become important because if you're not going to win, then your ranking's not going to improve either. But when you're in the developmental stages of your career, winning should count as, okay, I'm giving my best. I'm asking the right questions. I'm wanting to constantly get better. That's winning. Losing is when you're, you know, you're completely closed off and you think you know it all, but you don't. And that's, that's when, you know, people's, you know, I guess behaviors and attitudes can become dangerous because their, their ego gets in the way and they just, they believe everything that they're doing is correct and they don't want to listen to anyone else. So when someone says winning is everything, yeah. it sometimes just means the, the context of it. Yes, winning is, is, is a beautiful thing because you're holding the trophy. Correct. But the champions are the one who actually walks away with sportsmanship, respect and legacy and things like that. Yeah, well, I mean, look, even if you're... Uh like let's say you're watching Michael Jordan's uh, The Last Dance, right? If you look back on his life uh, from a young age, and I think he speaks about it, and he says, you know, with his parents, he was grow- he grew up in a very competitive uh, family. Um, 
and you know he obviously he didn't make the team one time and he got home and he said to his mum I want to give up I don't want to play anymore because he was devastated he didn't get into the team but then his mum said if you want to get into that team you're going to have to practice all summer so to me that's a, that's that's winning he's winning in his life because he faced a, he faced an obstacle and a challenge and he could have given up and Michael Jordan never would have been born but he chose to rise up and say yes mum you're right I'm going to practice harder this summer and he came back and he blew everyone's mind Mm. <laughs> wow, I'm just gonna let the list, listeners settle in a little bit, but that's uh, that's a Michael Michael Jordan mindset right there. Wow. Um, so the mindset of winning and losing. Yeah. Um, as for a coach, how do you, how do you play around this 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 element of tennis? Yes, definitely. I'm a good question. The the way that. I see it again is based on okay. You have to define clearly what a win is, and you have to define what a loss is. Like a loss to me is actually when someone loses and they don't get anything out of it. And that same can be said for winning. If you win a match but you actually get nothing out of it and you don't learn anything from it, you're not winning either. Like I mean, that's short-term success. Where if you actually, you know, with my coaching, the, the way that I like to coach, I, I always tell my students, you need to love losing. You're going to lose more than you're going to win. And if you think you're going to win the most, then you're in for, like, you're setting yourself up for failure because when it comes, you're not going to know how to handle it. Fall in love with, okay, fall in love with the journey, fall in love with the tough moments in tennis and accept that every moment is going to be pretty challenging. And when it's not challenging, it means that you're not pushing yourself enough. I'm, I'm going to fracture things a little bit. Okay. Yeah. If, if a player tells you that in order for him or her to become world number one and he has to do he has to become a monster he or she has to become a monster mm-hmm. by winning whatever it takes you know even in the little little things you know I'm talking let's say hooking or change of scores or politics yeah. and all that winning whatever it takes yeah. become world number one. For, you know, and what's your take on that? Yeah, look, I mean, winning at all costs, uh, you know, you'll learn to take, if, you, if that's your attitude and your mindset, then you'll probably, you will probably take shortcuts. Um, but to be honest, to become world number one, I, you know, there is no shortcuts. You, you know, if you ever get the chance to, as an example, interview someone like a Federer or Serena Williams, you know, there's, they'll tell you there actually is no shortcuts. You have to love the process. You have to love the journey. And if you don't, it's going to be very hard to reach the top of the mountain. Hmm. So, so if, if, like, if I, I mean, ask yeah. you, if I ask you, what does it take for Tennis of Melbourne to reach yeah. out to Roger Federer on Serena Williams and having a convo? What's your suggestion? What's your advice? Yeah, look, man, <laughs> if I... And I look, and believe it or not, I actually do this with my own stuff. Like I send messages and emails out to people that you know I'd probably never have access to, and if I was too scared, I never would actually communicate with them. But I research them, I then find out you know what they're about, and I ask them good questions. So someone like a Federer, you know, he probably doesn't want to hear. Okay, let's talk about what what does it take to become world number one? What does it feel like to be the best athlete of all time? Like, if you can find questions, five questions for him that he's never heard before, he'll make the time. 
All right. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, one that's one day, if Roger yeah. responds to my questions, and I'll yeah. give you a shout out, and I'll, I'll put your I'll put your photo and his photo in the same frame. I'm gonna deliver the convo. How's that sound? <laughs> good, good. I mean, look, dude. If I was you, and if you're trying to reach out to him, just keep going and find out other emails and uh-huh. and you know and and that's part of your process. It's part of my process where I actually, you know, I love I love rejection. If uh-huh. they say no, I want to know why. And if they don't, then I need to reflect on myself and be like, okay, he said no or she said no. Uh-huh. How can I get access to this person? Uh-huh. Now, for those uh, who are listening. Um, you talk, you talk about, you know, rejections. I'm going to give you a figure, a fact, okay? It's, it happened. It's a reality, okay? Not all players or parent, uh, players or coaches or even some parents or even past tennis players who said okay with, with Convo. And I can give you the percentage of failure. And it's well over 75%. Yeah. Well over. So if you think that you know, um, you know, you, you always think about, oh, you know, I win, you know, and, and, and all, you always think that everything's all sweet and, 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 and just like, oh, everything's so sweet and smooth. I'm telling you, it's not. 75%, I would reach out and I would say, all right, cool, no problem. And then didn't hear anything or other things happen and whatever. And that's, that's a failure. So, so I, I always tell uh, the people who I work with or are training the apprentice, whether in sports trainer and all that stuff, I said, you're going to have two friends for the rest of your life. And I don't care you, you, you know, who the names are, but the two friends are going to be the rest of your life. They're the F words. One is failure and two is feedback. And if you don't have two friends, stick with you, you're not going to go anywhere in life. So whatever you're doing, whether it's taping or treatment or whatever failure and feedback they're going to be your two best friends and i don't care what you think you wake up in the morning you can't do it those are little failures you're going to see them and you're going to overcome them failures and failures can be big and failures can be small failures can be um you know let's say for example yesterday uh i spilled the water and usually when i was younger i'll wait for a little bit but now my failure is knowing that the water is going to go into the wood or the, the floor you know, and I've got to be active on it. So that's my little failure. I learned from the past. And I'm going to be a little bit uh, active. So failure yes. doesn't have to be a result. It could be off, doesn't have to be a match or it could be a sport. But failure can be little things like why are you constantly leaving the lights on and that the bills is shooting up the, the, uh, the sky. So those are yep. little failures. So that's just something for, for me to, to sort of um, uh, make, the, make the input. But I really like what, what, you, what, what you mentioned. Um, as, as for the coach again, just touching on the coach, uh, do you think that um, losing and, sorry, winning and not knowing uh, how, how he or she won versus losing and knowing how he or she lost, you would pick the first or the second? The second. Okay. Now, it is a pretty easy because I'll pick the second one. Yeah. How do you create a habit for players who constantly lose and feel happy about it. They constantly lose and feel happy about it. Yep. But why, I mean, why would they be happy about constantly losing unless they're obviously, they're, they're putting themselves up against the odds of mm-hmm. like, let's say they've started playing tennis and they're putting themselves up against ATP players, like ranked mm-hmm. players. And they know that, you know, the chance of them achieving success is very little, mm-hmm. you know, 
but as, if they're learning from that process, and like as I said before, if they're losing and they're learning and they're enjoying that, mm-hmm. then the wins are eventually going to come up mm-hmm. um, unless, you know, their reflection isn't correct. Mm-hmm. You know, the reason why I said that is because um, many, many years ago, by the name of, and I, and I think um, I spoke to this player and this player is really okay with me talking about it, but his name is, uh, his name is Matthew Romeos. I remember when I was uh, watching, I was started my whole sports trainer journey and he was uh, always that 12, 13-year-old kid with the longest hair you can see and with a Prince hat and, uh, and with Prince racket as well. And racket is half of his size and it was just so tiny. And he would play like AMT white. So back then in the days, it's white. And white, yeah. I think, just what's the name for white, bronze, but, but just a level below bronze is white. And he would play like... Um, at Burundara, and he'll play, you know, on a weekly basis because there's so many of them. And he'll lose first, first round, and he'll on a good day he'll lose, you know, second round. But I always feel like, you know, he's he's just there to play against people, you know, twice his size, twice his age, and he just walked off and the court and it's like, okay, cool. As long as I know, you know, um, what I did right and how I can be better, per, be a better player. Um, the next time I play the same player or how am I going to be more physical next time? And look, fast forward a few years when he was 15, 16, he represented Australia and he's probably one of, he, he's one of the best player in the juniors, you know, um, in the, in the, in the country. So that's why I, I approached him and I said, look, you've done something very different because all the players want to beat the players at his or her age, but you choose the harder one and you, you, you want to learn to lose. So that's why... When I think about, you know, um, learning from losing, I think Matt Romeos was top three guy I, I, I think about. So, yeah. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, he's done significantly well, and he obviously, when he was younger and he was playing up, up, you know, above his, um, let's say, age group and standard and stuff like that, mm-hmm. it did help him rise to, you know, a higher level. Uh, but I do think it's also important to have a bit of a, Let's say if we're balancing it out, you know, you have to play 33% of your matches against players that you should be, 33% of the players at, at the same standard, and then 33% against players that are better than you. Mm. Because, you know, I don't know, it could be an Australian like mindset thing, but we tend to always love to play the better players and have a comeback story. But when we play players yeah. we should be, we tend to lose. <laughs> I realized that too, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, look, you know, it's in Europe, it's a lot different, and that's why everyone practices with everyone. And, you know, and that's what I try and teach my kids is that, you know, we're not going to always put you up against better players. You need to learn to beat players. You need to learn to win tournaments. And then you need to learn to lose against the better players or even the players that are at the same standard as you. Mm. That's nice. That's nice. Very good way to put it. Very good. Well, if I, if I would say to you... Um, and I'm, I may be walking along the boundaries. What's yep. what in, in your experience? What's uh, one or two differences you see um, in terms of European tennis versus Australian tennis? Yeah, I mean the culture in Europe or even European tennis is a lot different to Australian tennis, and and it's you know I guess Australian tennis players. Uh, you know, we tend to have a quite a good life. Like, because obviously tennis is expensive. <laughs> it's, it's, it's expensive to play, right? So that means, first of all, your parents, you know, can afford, if you're wanting to turn pro, that is, can afford, you know, expensive, you know, private lessons and to travel to tournaments and stuff. Where in Europe, you know, I mean, they pretty much have to, you know, really climb up the mountain the toughest way. They have to fight to earn their spots. And that's why, you know, I mean, from a mindset point of view, they tend to do quite well 
you know, outside of tennis life. Like they'll work hard in, if they've got a job or a business where in Australia the mentality is like, okay, you know, it's a bit easier mm. and you don't really need to fight as much because you're already kind of, yeah, you have a pretty good life as it is. Mm. That, that's so true. And, and again, from, from my, my, literally I've witnessed there are players who are, you know, great in tennis, but at the same time, they can play other sports like footy or netball, or whatever. And then uh, perhaps the financial rewards is better, or just perhaps it's this different environment, I guess. And they'll they'll move on to that. And um, and I think that a lot of uh, European, based on what I heard, is a lot of European uh, players. Once you pick tennis, for example, at age of nine, don't even think about doing other things. Just that's your only way. In and that's your only way out. You, yes, potentially you might play soccer or whatever, but if that's your only way to, I guess, escape from poverty or escape from, you know, um, circumstances that your parents don't want to be there anymore. So that's the so the parents or family really devote that you know um, the passion for you know. And again, uh, I can even touched on um, Yelena Dokic's story. You know, um, I, I read the book twice, uh, Breakable, and uh, I think that. There is somewhat uh, some darkness behind the success. So, yes. um, yeah, would you like to share anything that you heard or you experienced about success and the mindset and all that stuff? Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, like to achieve any type of success, and you know, success is so different for everyone. Um, and you know, it's one of those questions that you know some people think being successful means being really rich or having a lot of money, and some people will say, you know, I'm successful because I have a great family and I'm happy, and you know, I get to spend a lot of time with them. So, I mean, to each individual, like as I get a little bit older now, you know, I start to see it. Like when I was young, you know, success meant becoming a pro tennis player and you know having nice things, and but they're all external factors and material things. And if you're basing your happiness on that stuff, you're I mean, that's, that's personally anyway for me, that doesn't bring you too much happiness. What actually brings myself happiness is doing all success, is doing what I love doing and watching other people grow from that. Um, and, you know, you're going to face your challenges and that's why I've, you know, I personally commit myself to understanding people more, being open-minded and really open to feedback. Like if someone's not happy with something and they actually, and what they're telling me, is, you know, is real and it's truthful, then I'll listen to it. But in saying that as well, like, you need to be careful about the feedback you do take in from certain people because they could just be saying it to hurt your feelings or put you down. And, I mean, there's a lot of that too. So that's why you need to know the person telling you and you need to understand is it actually reliable or is it not. But, you know, any success, any whatever it is you are aiming to achieve, you will have, like you said, dark moments and tough times and, you know, it's that's that's life. It's a test, isn't it? It's, if you look at life as one big game, you know that's ultimately what it is. You know, we're here for a certain amount of time. Our life is pretty much a battery, and whenever that battery runs out, you're gone. <laughs> so, you know, you, if you can actually reflect and understand that you are, you know, you are mortal. You're not immortal. Where you're going to live forever, then I think you'll appreciate life a bit more, and you're not going to worry about the little petty things that don't actually matter in the grand scheme of things. Mario, Mario, Mario. Fantastic. Now, um, before we go, um, can you recommend two books for our listeners? Yeah, definitely. Uh, like uh, A good mindset book is actually called Mindset by Carol Dweck, and it talks about 
growth mindset and fixed mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we're talking about mindset, I mean, that's a fantastic one. And if, you know, for habits, there's, there's one called the Miracle Morning, which is quite good. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, what I recommend is actually finding who your idols are and who you want to be like or and if you're wanting to achieve a certain thing in your life and you find that person that's achieved that, you hunt them down, you find out what books they've written, if they have, and if they're not that high profile, then you contact them directly. That's like, that's pretty much what I have done with whatever I want to achieve. I want to achieve success in my business. I find out who's done that. I hunt them down. I keep annoying them until I get something. <laughs> Love it, love it. All right, look, I'm going to sound slightly selfish here. Uh, We are going to go for round three in the near future, okay? (laughs) Because I think think this is benefiting um, just tennis community in large or even just community in large or sporting community in large because uh, uh, I'm already visualizing I'm going to do some... uh, in the next few weeks, I'm going to do some replays and cutting some segments uh, of uh, convos uh, from yours and, uh, and others and, and going to slowly put up, a, I guess, you know, on a, on a short post on, on IG and Facebook. And I think um, what I can do as, as, or as Tennis of Melbourne, I wanted to see if we can, because I feel like what happens now with the, with the whole situation, the isolation, it's actually pressing a big reset button for everyone. And so, yeah. so what we're going to do now is, you know, to make the f- community or the family a little bit more positive and uh, with, with stronger in terms of culture and more positive towards each other as much as possible. I think what you said and what the, the past convos, 50 plus convos can really re-deliver to, to, the, to our listeners. And, uh, and again, you said appreciate, you know, you appreciate little things, you know, we... I, I spoke to a guy from uh, UK last night, and uh, my name's John. He said in UK there's no clay courts. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and we have what fifteen, you know, like I don't know where, like Dendy Park or Dingley, or uh, but and also the grass courts. There's no grass courts. Only in Wimbledon they have grass courts. Yeah. So um, how lucky we are here in, in in Melbourne. You know, our backyard is Australian Open, and we got thousands and thousands of courts, you know, whether it's registered or not registered, but, you know, we, we are very lucky. So, um, 100%. yeah, so Mario, thanks again for your time. Um, I will upload this, uh, I will let you know uh, in the near future, hopefully sometime uh, this week. And yep. uh, I will make sure the round three is going to be a big one. It's going to be a big not one. Not a problem. Okay. No problem, man. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, I really appreciate it, Tom, and thank you again even for, uh, for your time and the questions. Good work. Okay. Thanks so much, Mario. You take care. <laughs> no problem. Thanks. You too. Bye-bye.